Welcome back to 7 Seconds or More. This is episode 56. I'm your host, as always, Peter Howarth, joined, as usual, by Duncan Adele. Uh, Duncan, the, the Charlotte Hornets beat the Boston Celtics. Um, how are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I was jumping up and down at my TV. The overtime was great. Um, you know, it, it's tough because, like, the Celtics, every player on the Celtics is better than the counterpart on the Hornets, more or less. But they somehow put together a team win, which is just, like, unlikely. So it, it was good to see. I'm sure the Celtics will bounce back. You can't win them all, though. Hey, I think P.J. Washington was giving Jalen Brown a run for his money last night and and how good <laughs> they the are. Off? Yeah, yes. <laughs> Different, a lot, lot, a real sizable gap in salary, too, may I mention. Uh, and we are also joined, uh, for the first time in a while, uh, he is strep throatless, uh, Daniel Park. Dan, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Glad to be back on the show. Excited to get into it again. Are you Are you here to defend Clay Thompson uh, against allegations of him being washed? No, I'm gonna put it out now. I think he's firmly on washed watch, but nevertheless a Clay fan, so keep supporting until the end. Yeah, well, uh, we'll see if he can play more than two or three minutes in a game. Um, for what it's worth, pretty much every one of his stats is the worst since his rookie year. So usually a bad sign for if we're washed or not. Um, so we are, before we get started into our main subject for today, uh, some of the biggest news is that trade season is is maybe going to start a little early this year. Zach Levine is the latest to have reports that he might be on the move. He might want out. He's been seen on the sidelines on of Bulls games and after the game looking kind of mad, um, as one would be if they played for the Chicago Bulls right now. But um, we're just going to do a rapid fire. Where is Zach Levine going to go? Duncan, we'll start with you, uh, and we'll ask the age-old question. Where is Zach Levine going to go? All right, I've got a fun one and a serious one. Serious one, I think he'd go to the Pelicans. Pelicans need to ship like shake something up. Maybe it's not the most serious thing, but it would be fun to have someone who's slightly more dynamic than CJ McCollum and a little more catch and shoot three. Um, the fun one is just James Harden for Zach Levine straight up. Send him to the Clippers. You know, is, this is the guy that you wanted, someone who can play off the ball, uh, kind of more than James Harden, at least. Why not? Who says no? Get that cancer out of there. Uh, wow. I, I, I'll tell you what, I was not expecting the James Harden swap that, um, there is a recently <laughs> traded restriction in the NBA. Once you trade for a guy, it's like, maybe it's 90 days, something like that. I don't know. It's one of those ones you always disable in 2K, so no one remembers that it exists. Um, but yeah, getting rid of CJ. Um, uh, some people have thrown it out there. I don't know if they'll do it, um, but I think CJ is almost like a sitting duck. No one talks about him. Really, no one talked about the Pelicans to a large degree. Um, what do you think about those, Dan? Yeah. Uh... Yeah, I think. Oh. <laughs> I honestly don't really know what to add to that. Yeah, I, I really don't blame you. I think the, you know, Zach Levine. I think he'd look good in a Clippers jersey. I think it would automatically mean he plays forty-one games a year. I don't think he could physically play more than that if he was a member of the Clippers. Um, before we go to Dan with his thoughts, I'm gonna go. My Zach Levine destination is gonna be. The Brooklyn Nets, uh, I just think he'd be a, a fun Brooklyn Net. They have a ton of mid-range salaries they could throw in. Um, you know, uh, New York, Brooklyn always seems like they are sort of a star-driven town, uh, as they should be. Um, and I think that would be a perfect fit. Also, if I remember correctly, 
uh, Zach Levine's first dunk contest win. I believe they had that dunk contest in Brooklyn. So um, pr- provided that information is correct, that'd be a cool little throwback. Would you add Cam Thomas in that trade? Is that kind of like a sell high uh, kind of thing? Let's just let Cam Thomas like eat up those stats in, in Chicago? Because, I mean, I haven't watched a ton of Brooklyn Nets basketball. Man can score. Can he win? I don't know. Is it empty stats? Is it 2K my player where you max out on offense and ignore the defense? Maybe. But I think you'd kind of need to get him out of there for it to make sense position-wise. I don't know. Maybe that, that'd be a further thing for Zach in Brooklyn. But, you know, you have between Mikhail, Zach, Cam Thomas, uh, Dinwiddie. You know, it's a lot of – Dennis Smith Jr. The, the ghost um, of it's Ben a lot Simmons. Of like, <laughs> ghost of Ben Simmons. A lot of people who want the ball in their hands a little more. Uh, could be a, a little bit of a traffic jam in that positionality. Yeah, you're probably right. I, I think we're, that would just be the Nets going full Indiana Pacers and just saying, hey, we only care about offense. We don't care about defense at all. Um, Dan, do you have a team or two you'd like to see Zach Levine on? My pick, I'm, I'm going to go with the Orlando Magic. You know, they have a Ooh. top five defense in the league. They got some guys that they can give up, Suggs, Isaac. Isaac's like 27 now, and he's missed like four seasons. Wendell, your guy. Um, and they can just pretend that the Vooch trade never happened. I think that like Levine's going to go for much less than like a lot of people think. He's got questionable knees, a massive contract, which can easily backfire like Blake Griffin did. Honestly, I think that's a really good one because Wendell, he's hurt. And even before he was here, he's been kind of bad. It seems like he's getting kind of phased out there in Orlando. Um, and Jonathan Isaac, if you get him on the Bulls, him and Patrick Williams, they're probably honestly the same player. So I think that'd be really, really funny <laughs> if uh, they were teammates. Uh, so yeah, I like it. That sorry, sorry to interrupt, but like no, go ahead. they uh, the Magic. Who's the oldest player on the Magic? Is it? Well, they um, they have Jingles. Oh, Jingles? Okay, I guess so. But I feel like they could use some, like, quote-unquote veteran. Maybe Zach Levine just adopts that veteran a bit more. Just, yeah, pump up the offense a bit. It's honestly, like, that's kind of a nice fit. A little homecoming, too. I'm pretty sure Zach has played some sort of Team USA basketball. um, And Paolo is a Team USA guy. So, you know, there's always that connection, too. Uh, So, uh, if anyone, no one else has any Zach Levine thoughts... Uh, I think we avoided saying the, the, the teams that people actually think he's going to go to, like the Knicks, the Lakers, and the Kings. Because um, what's the fun of that? Hey, if, if we pick a crazy team and he goes to that, we look like geniuses. Um, so we're, we're, anyways, we're going to get on to our, our main subject for the day, which is some of the rising stars in the league. Uh, we are about you know, 12, 15 games into the season. Uh, and there's definitely like a lot of guys taking that leap in, in the league. And I think it's worth noting no, like J.J. Redick, we are not going to peg people in the All-Stars. We're not going to do an MVP ballot um, yet, any of that. I, we just want to talk about some of the guys who have been taking a leap, and maybe you should, when you start looking around at, at maybe League Pass Game of the Weeks, which is going to come later, see if any of these guys are playing, because I think they're worth watching. Um, who would like to go first? Any Anyone have a rush to talk about a player? Yeah, I'll take a... What is it? Brother Bear? Is that his nickname? Yeah, hey, there you go. Mm-hmm. Throwback. Start with uh, Desmond Bain on the underperforming Grizzlies. He's been averaging 26 points, 4 rebounds, 5 assists, 2 stocks on 45, 37, and 87% splits. 
Um, he's had some highs and lows offensively, 630 bombs, but a lot of like 15, like low teens and uh, kind of mid numbers as well. Um, and he's been, I don't know, just on a Grizzlies team that's been extremely underwhelming without jaw. But he's been super effective on and off the ball, watching some highlights from his past couple of games. He's able to drive, kick, dump off, take the hard two, and off ball, like call for off ball screens, take those screens, and then be wide open in the corner for like catch and shoot three. Like he's versatile and he's competent on defense too. Not like the best defender in the world, but you know, he's not like a, a little guy. You can't just blow past him or back him up. He's decent in the perimeter. He can switch on to some of the bigger guys in the post and at least give them a little bit of trouble. Like Desmond Bain can do it all, but he just needs to be more consistent. Uh, hopefully, with Jaw coming back, there'll be some like spacing in the sense that there's like gravity going towards jaw towards his drives and everything but i hope that doesn't like limit how much he can do that and uh him like taking the ball up i've noticed in like some of the highlights that i've watched and everything that you know some of the other players on the grizzlies with no clear number one they're all kind of dribbling the ball up and trying to take charge but i think desmond has been the most effective at it i mean you don't love to see jaron jackson do his kind of wonky dribble from the three-point line to take a bad like mid-range two goes in sometimes but like i think they should be focusing more on running it through desmond and developing him a little bit more and then the last thing with him is some nights he averages like nine free throws and some one or two honestly with those kind of like stinker performances if he can get those free throw attempts he's averaging like four throughout the season right now if he can get those more to like nine ten kind of like what shay did last year with his big jump it was honestly like mostly free throws because even when your shots aren't necessarily going in you've kind of got that like base of confidence seeing the ball going through the net and kind of the stat thing which you know winning is more important at the end of the day but the stats do matter to these players so i like his direction interested to see how it's going to be when jaw comes back whether his role increases or diminish diminishes but i think he he has a chance to be a a number one option or a very, very clear number two down there in Memphis. What do you guys think? Yeah, he's shown that he can do other stuff besides shooting. I think that's a really big thing. He doesn't want to be caught being just, you know, known as a catch and shoot you know, three point guy, but a guy that can, you know, play good defense, that can play make as well. And that can be, you know, the number one option. And, you know, jobbing out. It's probably a blessing in disguise for him because he can just develop those areas of his game that he normally can't really focus on when you know, he's the number two or number three. I have like a couple of reservations about Desmond Bain, the player, um, especially as it fits next to Jaw um, and, and being the, the 1B or honestly just the two next to Jaw because we all know Jaw is, is the Grizzlies. So Desmond Bain, he's listed at 6'5", but honestly, I think he plays smaller than that. I don't know if it's just like his big arms, his big short like T-Rex arms, but he kind of just plays as like a, a smaller player. I Just like comparing him to someone like Clay Thompson, tough, like really bad, tough comparison to make. You probably shouldn't make it. I'm going to. Clay Thompson's 6'6", but Clay Thompson has like the build of a longer shooter, Clay Thompson has been known as like a very switchable defender. Um, Clay has historically even played the three, sometimes the four, like in real short stints throughout his his career. The way Desmond Bain plays, he plays a lot smaller than he is. And I think that's what restricts him in terms of getting to the free throw line as well. I, I don't think he's like a natural guy like that. 
So if he's more of a catch and shoot guy, which he's really, really good at, that's fine. I just don't know if he has even, and we're not talking about all-stars, but it's just a generalization. I don't know if Desmond Bain has like an all-star ceiling that like Clay Thompson does, for example. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's one of the few players with a negative wingspan in the NBA too. So that kind of, it makes sense with the, you know, it's harder to close out, harder to get those like linky, like arm contact probably gets blocked more than other players maybe do, but he's been very crafty and like with some of his floaters and high balls and uh, in, in those drives. So I think he can make the leap. Um, it's just the NBA is about like scoring 30 more often than not. If you want to make that leap versus uh, we're not sure whether we're going to get 10 points out of you or 30 points out of you. If he wants to be in that star role <laughs> and he's got he's got the opportunity now with jaw out so yeah i think the how many more games for jaw it's like eight or seven more games um but if they can stay afloat and just win a couple of games before jaw comes back i, I think he's got a, a big role for him the rest of the season I, I do think you're right about like the whole opportunity thing like that that's the big thing um sort of accelerating this development um one note about the negative uh, wingspan thing another another player with negative wingspan uh, JJ Redick. He was one of the few ones in his career. Uh, interesting comparison. Uh, and just something that came off the top of my head while I was thinking and watching Bane is that he kind of reminds me of like young Eric Gordon. Like Eric Gordon was a high pick. He was like one of the centerpieces back in the Chris Paul trade from the Clippers to the Hornets back, back, back in the day, right? Like 10 years ago. And he kind of just put up empty numbers and they didn't win. And eventually, the the thing with Gordon is that he kind of came back to being a player who can play a complimentary like spark plug role, but he's not like a star. So I'm just worried if like Bain is putting up empty numbers and if it, as we can see, it hasn't led to winning with the Grizzlies. They are like two and eight, maybe through two and nine, I think at this point. So they are like, I, I just don't know like if Bain, if, if he can really be that guy at all, because it has not been working. Yeah, three and ten. Um, a couple of close games, though. They lost by what two to the Celtics. Um, yeah, no, that's it. Never mind. Six to the Heat. Yeah, there's some teams here they should have beat for sure. But enough of uh, the Memphis Grizzly, Peter. Uh, who is who is one of your rising stars that you want to talk about? Well, if you guys have seen the uh, cover to this episode, then you know. I have an affinity towards uh, people named Tyrese, right? Uh, this is known. If, if you're a fan of the show, you should know I like both Tyrese Maxey and Tyrese Halliburton. Let's focus first on Tyrese Maxey, because if you've been following the NBA this year, you've probably been blasted in the face about Tyrese Halliburton. He's been honestly like the biggest poster boy for the next generation of the league, especially coming off of Team USA in the summer. But Tyrese Maxey, I... I I would have to go back and listen to it, but I do feel like we've been preaching the this is Tyrese's team in the backfield, backfield, backcourt, sorry, football mode. Uh, because finally, the Sixers offloaded James Harden and Tyrese Maxey has finally gotten the full uh, brunt of the keys in, in that backfield and backcourt. Mm. But, and he's been extremely effective. The, the efficiency hasn't gone down. That's something you're really concerned at as he's taken on more of a workload as the clear number two behind Embiid. 
uh, Maxi, he's leading the league in minutes this year at 38.1 minutes a game. So uh, he's clearly in, in great shape and he's being leaned upon a lot. And again, the efficiencies aren't bad. He's up to 26.8 points per game, uh, 4.8 rebounds, 7.1 assists, all would be career highs. And off of last year, his field goal percentage is only down 0.6%. His three-point percentage is up 1.2%. And his free throw percentage is up 9%. He's shooting, or sorry, 11%. Tyrese Maxey is shooting 95.3% from the free throw line. A lot of the times we'll look at players like uh, like Jalen Brown, for example, just someone coming off the top of my head. Jalen Brown is someone who is a, a pretty effective three-point shooter, but he is not good at the free throw line. And oftentimes we'll look at a player's free throw percentage to indicate like if they're really a good shooter. Tyrese Maxey, 95.3% from the free throw line. I think we focus so much on like how quick he is and that sort of shifty guard that we don't appreciate how he is one of the best shooters in the league. He's shooting 50% on catch and shoots this year, 42% on pull-ups. Of players that have shot at least 83s this year, he's in, I believe, like the top six in terms of three-point percentage. He is an elite, elite shooter. He's averaging over seven assists a game, and the Sixers are winning. I th- I don't think there's like a lot else to be debated on if Tyrese Maxey is like a star. He he clearly is. All he needed was the opportunity, and he's fully taking advantage of it. Yeah, I think um, one of the big factors is learning a lot under James Harden. A lot of Harden's former teammates have spoken highly of him, like Cam Thomas did when Harden left the Nets, and you know Tyrese Maxey also did when he left the Sixers. Um, you can see that there are bits of Harden's game that, like embedded into you know what Maxi's putting on today. So, you know, as much as like the hate that Harden gets, he has a lot of influence on these younger guys and seems like a pretty good uh, locker room guy and leader. Yeah, I think him doubling his assists from last year to this year and only ha- averaging 0.2 more turnovers per game is crazy. Like, that's just, like, is that even like volume? Like, you'd think with more like opportunity and the more minutes that the turnovers would go up too, but no, he's the same player having more opportunities, making even more of the crazy passes and just quick, good decision making. I know we're not talking about like all stars and all that, but all NBA. Maybe who says no? Are there uh, uh, five guards better than him? There might be, but at the end of the season, I might be closer than than it is today. Yeah, well, I, I believe Jalen Brown made it as a forward. Uh, safe to say, he is not go- he's not on an all and B pace at the moment. Uh, also, what's worth noting, especially about the turnover point, Duncan, is that the way that the Sixers are now playing under Nick Nurse is that they're playing a lot more of a free flowing style with a lot more. Uh, heavy pick and roll and just way more passes and touches per game. I'd have to look at the stats. I'm sure they, they corroborate that, but it means there's a lot more opportunity to turn the ball over. If it's not just straight up, um, you know, isolation with Harden or Embiid that combined with the fact that yes, Maxi is getting the ball way more because James Harden doesn't exist in Philadelphia. And Maxi is again, leading the league in minutes there would be so many factors for Tyrese to be maybe in like the mid twos in turnovers, but no, he's only at one and a half. Um, so it's really, really incredible. I, again, I think he was one of those guys that as a Kentucky guard entering the draft, 
he was sort of looked at as like a combo guard, as in they didn't think he'd be maybe a traditional point guard. But hey, like whatever you want to say about what, what guard he is, is he a point guard, is he a shooting guard? He's averaging 27 points. He's averaging seven assists. And he's only turning the ball over one and a half times. It doesn't matter like what position you want to lump him in. He's elite at what he does. Yeah, that brings up a funny thing. I don't know if you've watched, uh, listened to JJ's um, The Old Man and the Three Things from today, but they bring up a good point. Who has a traditional point guard that works? Like, what is a traditional point guard? I think we're like evolving. We're like, we don't need a traditional point guard. And like, off the top of your head, like, what team is succeeding right now with a traditional point guard? Well, well, there's there's someone we're going to talk about later. The other Tyrese, I, I would say they are succeeding, and he is a traditional point guard. He's a six eight point guard. Like I don't know, traditional. I guess in the terms of passing and everything, yeah. But hey, Maxie Johnson's like six eight. That's a good point. But he was like one of the best point guards, or if not the best point guard of all time, you know. Like uh, it's no, I guess that's a good point. I will talk about Tyrese Halliburton a bit more. He's a traditional point guard, but the Pacers are not succeeding. He's succeeding. The Pacers are not succeeding. Um, so it is an interesting like view of things, which maybe is for another podcast. You know what? I'm just going to hijack the order. Uh, we would normally go in order and Dan would go next. But because you're going to talk about Tyrese Halliburton, <laughs> we'll pivot to him. Uh, Tyrese, from last year to this year, he is uh, averaging career high in points. He's at 23.5 points per game. Uh, he's up to four rebounds, 11.6 assists. That currently does lead the league in assists. So uh, he's almost sort of taking the mantle from Chris Paul as the next sort of like pass first point guard um, in the league. He's averaging 50, 40, 90. Uh, last year, he was really close over the course of the year. He shot 49% from the field last year. He shot 87% from the free throw line. But this year, it's, yeah, 50, basically 51, 43, and 94. Um and again, talking about someone who, if you average 11.6 assists a game, you're going to have the ball in your hand a lot trying to set up teammates. He has lowered his turnovers from last year, 2.5 turnovers per game to 2.3. Um, also, also, uh, also worth noting about uh, Halliburton, he's on pace to be the only player ever in league history to have 20 and 10 points and assists on 50, 40, 90 splits. Uh, so basically, he is like the modern equivalent of the, you know, quote, traditional point guard in the sense that he'll get your 10 assists, but he'll also, instead of like 15 or 18 points a game, he'll get to 20, and he's an elite shooter. He's not just someone who is who is setting the ball up um, and, and necessarily getting the team into the offense. Uh, just like an, on an observational point about Tyrese, it's pretty incredible what he's been able to do in late game situations and being able to take over. Uh, he makes the right decision every time in terms of being able to either take a shot himself, even if it seems like a bit of a gamble. Again, he's, he's a 43% three point shooter with, with his, you know, somewhat suspect looking shot. So it, it's, it's effective, but he also has faith in his teammates, whether it's like Benedict Matherin, whether it's Bruce Brown, uh, uh, Miles Turner, He's been really effective on getting wins for the Indiana Pacers when they maybe should not. The The next step for the Pacers is seeing if they can actually be like a playoff team. They're a real trendy preseason team just because of everyone being a fan of Halliburton. Currently, they are sitting at, at sixth in the uh, in the playoffs in the East, you know, again, super early. But currently, they would avoid the play-in. So if they stay on that pace, they're 7-5. A lot of it depends on Halliburton's health. They were that sort of 
a team avoiding the play in last year, but then Halliburton got hurt for like a month and a half and they fell out. So um curious what you guys think about Halliburton. Obviously we're all fans of him here. Um, it goes without saying, but just what have you seen so far? I mean, what you said about the scoring is definitely true. Um, like, the, the assists are impressive. The assist-to-turnover ratio is impressive. But him scoring, like, over 25 points, over 20 points, and getting zero turnovers is insane because, you know, you do get turnovers when you're trying to score as well. Um, yeah, I think, you know, people are calling him the new-gen Chris Paul, probably with worse defense and better shooting. But... He's just such a clean passer, and it's refreshing to watch him play. Yeah, he's making the Pacers relevant, but I think it's just injury. I'm hoping he, he stays healthy. I've got him on fantasy, too. Like Probably one of my, the most fun players to watch with all the, the no-look threes. And I remember the Pacers-Celtics game we went to last year, Peter. Ugh. Like It's different seeing it in person, the no-look like, pass versus on TV, because you know he's... He's looking in the complete opposite direction. You're like, just when you're in person, you're looking where he's looking. It's like, oh, he's looking in the corner and all of a sudden he doesn't have the ball anymore. And like Benedict Matherin takes a wide open three or uh, Nemhard is like cutting into the lane or something like that. And like, that that's crazy. He, he makes the winning plays. But in, in the one game that he hasn't played this season, the Celtics want, put up 155 points against uh, the, the Pacers. So even though he's not like a defensive prowess, I think just like, controlling the pace of his offense and taking better shot like he's the general he is the offense he's the mastermind in that scheme so hoping he stays healthy and if he does the pacers you know their their ceiling is his ceiling yeah the the modern day like chris paul thing is very interesting also the the way he gets downhill at his height um and and being able to dish it to the perimeter he has like i don't want to completely like glaze tyrese here but he has like a, a Magic Johnson esque sort of like like wizardry and, and a showmanship. Like he's not who Magic Johnson is as a person, um, and he's not you know Magic Johnson like the salesman pretty much. But he has that like uncanny ability to always make the right play. And yeah, I really want to see the Pacers make the playoffs because. I think, you know, I've been saying it for years that I wanted to see, you know, like the Kings on national TV. Now they are because they won last year. Now I want to see Halliburton and the Pacers on TV because I think they play a really fun brand of basketball. Again, they, they lead the league in offense. They can't defend for the life of them, but hey, that's entertaining to watch. Um, luckily, a lot of people were exposed to Tyrese with the Team USA stuff. Um, he did make the All-Star team last year. Okay, we're not talking about all-stars, but there's a chance, you know, Halliburton, I would say fair chance he'd make the all-star team if the game was played tomorrow. So uh, luckily we'd be able to see him uh, in full force. Uh, Dan, now you have a couple of guys that we're going to talk about. Yeah. Again, we're not doing the all-star thing, but, you know, they they would make some interesting cases. Who do you want to start with? Speaking of floor general, we can talk about Alperen Shingun. Uh, loved Turk Nowitzki or Jokic Light. Probably comes from a zero background, but yeah, he's currently anchoring a top ten defense, and he is the engine of a top ten offense in the league. Now, last year he was benched for uh, Bruno Fernando by Steven Silas, and Bruno Fernando is currently not playing any minutes for the Hawks right now, and Silas is. It's on the coaching stuff for the Pistons, I believe. And they're not doing too well. But 
yeah, he was not getting enough minutes last year, not getting the ball in his hands. But, you know, his fortunes have turned around this year with Ime Yudoka as their new head coach. And, um, you know, last year, Anthony Edwards, he dunked all over Sangoon. But after that game, he came out and said, like, Rockets need to give him what he needs, build around Sangoon, because, you know, he's a real problem. And it's not only Anthony Edwards, it's uh, Luka, all the European guys, Luka, Gobert, Jokic, Sabonis. Um, KD also complimented Shengun. And it seems like the league is taking notice of his talents. And one of his biggest weaknesses was probably defense. But it started to get a little out of hand. And most of the people that were calling him terrible on that end didn't even watch the games. And it seems like there's this narrative that the better on offense a white Euro big is, the worse people just assume their defense is. Um, you know, almost every center is going to look bad defensively with Kevin Porter Jr., Jalen Brown, and a disinterested Eric Gordon guarding the perimeter. Um, you know, but this year he's putting up pre-MVP Jokic numbers. A lot of people are comparing his numbers as a 21-year-old right now, I think t- 21 or 22, to 24-year-old Jokic. Um, and they are, they do have a similar array of skills, but Sengun is a little shorter, but way more athletic and a little more raw. Um, but the next step for him is probably shooting. You know, his free throw percentage is not really good. It's It was at like 70% last year, and it's right around 60% this year. Yeah. Um, you know, but... With the way he's developing, it, I'm pretty confident that his shot is going to come around. He's already developing a lot of those one-legged mid-range shots. And his push shots, he seems to have a really good touch on. He's finishing around the rim. And it's funny because he actually does a lot of like three-point like pump fakes. And everyone seems to bite on them, but he's never going to shoot it because he's just not a good shooter. Um, and... The most noticeable thing that he's done this year is probably defense. I did say that it's been overblown in the past, but you know he's blocking shots at a higher rate. He's getting more steals and, more importantly, the defensive hustle. And that's probably down to the new coaching setup, the new schemes, because all of the Rockets' young core, as well as the vets that they brought in, are all buying into the new defense. And it's just refreshing to see that he's getting the opportunity to run the offense. He's been closing out games like last five or six minutes. Ime is putting the ball in his hands, letting him post up, even against LeBron. Um, so, yeah, that says a lot about all the trust that he's getting. And yeah, I think this is all down to Jokic. Like, he was the trailblazer for you know, this type of passing big that can play in the post, that can run the floor, and, you know, I mean, they won a championship off of it, so that's enough evidence. Yeah, I think the defense part is really important here with, with Shangun. And I, I do think there is a level of bias, negative bias that we have towards just like big plotting European white centers. Um, because Jokic, like for years, the knock was uh, A, like, can he be the person who leads the team to any sort of championship? Yes, that question's been answered. And the other thing was, like, is he good enough defensively? 
Um, I think people overlook Jokic because he is so good offensively and because he's this, you know, white guy with big bruised arms that he's not like a defensive guy. And I think Shangun, who is a lot skinnier than Jokic as well, and, and you know, do- doesn't even have as big arms as Jokic, I think Shangun gets a lot of those, a lot of that negative bias. But if he can stay on the floor with Ime Udoka and, and earn his trust, that's big because Udoka is a defensive first coach. And it was pretty clear coming into the year that, you know, he that he doesn't have any attachment to any of these guys. He didn't draft them. He wasn't in the building in the decision-making process. So Shangun having the ball more, having things go through him more, um, while also having that defensive burden in, in the middle of the floor as a center, I think shows a lot that he's earned his trust. Uh, I will say the free throw stuff is, yeah, super weird. Like 61% from the free throw line is really, really bad, especially if, you know, a modern day center, especially if he's going to be like a guy, needs to be able to shoot. So that's one to sort of circle in on. Maybe he's tired. Maybe he's you know, he's in the Jalen Brown camp of can't shoot a free throw, but he's like a good shooter. I don't know, but definitely someone to monitor, um, especially with the Rockets sort of coming to life after a, couple games skid to start the year oh yeah the rockets are definitely going to be that team where in like three weeks everyone's going to be like oh let me tell you about the houston rockets we were in on them all year uh totally invested they're the most improved candidate coach of the year candidate and all that so i think a lot of that's going to go through shengun and uh i feel like he's the type of player that Shaq and uh charles barkley they don't know his name but they will be knowing his name they're probably like every time like Sengen, like, oh, Alperin Sengen of the Houston Rockets. But no, they, they've got the tools to, to turn that ship around. Dan, I just have a question about uh, Shangun's passing, right? He's up to 5.7 assists per year. Do you think he can get to the, like, this is an impossible task to have because I, I think Jokic is the best passing big man ever. Um, but do you think Shangun can kind of be a number one facilitator on this team considering you know right their point guard is fred van fleet who isn't like a nat again we don't there's no traditional point guards anymore but fred van fleet certainly doesn't like fit that mold well yeah i think a lot of the turnovers last year were actually resulting from him making these passes that none of his teammates were expecting you know he was throwing behind the backs he was you know hitting cutting players with a bounce pass but they resulted in a lot of turnovers. And it's clear that this year the players trust him more um, just because I think the coach has shown a lot of faith in him. So the coach, so the players are inclined to you know, believe in him and they have to because they're teammates. But yeah, I would say that's the biggest thing. They're just expecting him to pass. Um, and, you know, the teamwork is just going to keep building. And if he's the centerpiece of this project, then they've just got to keep doing it. Well, speaking of players who um, you know have, have a big responsibility in passing the ball, but maybe have not been as efficient as uh, as we wish they could be, Duncan, would you like to talk about your second player? Oh yeah, I'll talk about my uh, hometown hero, Lamelo Ball. Um, I, Dan and Peter know in the beginning of the season, my texts were Lamelo Ball sucks, Lamelo Ball stinks, because I was just watching him drive to the hoop, take a bad floater, bad whatever, and just turn the ball over again and again and again. But Pomelo had a tough start 
to the season to say the least and that's coming off of a season last year where he didn't really play that many games because of injury and then the Hornets were kind of tanking for the Wembenyama sweepstakes and there was no incentive to making the winning plays so I think it's kind of oh there's a little bit of taking adjustment but he started the season with uh 15 6 and 10 29 and 9 8 3 and 8 19 1 and 5 11 2 and 11 and this is all in like you know like 20 something attempts like this horrible efficiencies you know he did not would not take no for an answer he wanted you know shooters shoot i gotta get to my numbers he'd be like oh for four from three take a three that's like from the logo and just completely brick it but he then had a 30 point triple double against the mavs and it just he's been a different player since uh that was a 30 10 and 13 only the second 30 point triple double in um hornets history i think at that point, and it was against the Mavs, and the Mavs announcers so kindly said, and Luca's done this five times this season already. Uh, so that, that was a great fun. But then, you know, since then, 34, 4, and 7, 25, 6, and 6, 32, 7, and 6, like it keeps going. He's had uh, seven, six, seven games over 30 points, and hopefully this translates into winning, but he's still averaging like 4.2 turnovers a game. Uh, it's on eight assists, so it's a two to one assist to turnover ratio, but He's got to transition more to making these winning plays to be considered kind of that superstar top end talent, especially with a team that doesn't really have a lot of direction. And, you know, everybody's kind of on the table at all times, except for maybe Brandon Miller, Mark Williams. I'd say Lamelo, he's not on the table yet, but, you know, nobody's safe in a team that's not winning. Um, but I think if he keeps this up and they keep having some game winners, uh, like against the Celtics, he was part of that like double team towards the end of, I forget it was that end of overtime or end of regulation i think it was end of regulation to force it to overtime to get a um a a defensive stop um like he's making more and more winning plays but winning plays if they're not winning games they aren't really worth much the hornets are three and ten or four and four and nine right now i believe yeah and that's a 30 and 62 pace uh so you know that is not ideal um 30 and 62. No, that is 92 games. That's not quite right. But, you know, it's it's not a great pace to be on. Um, but I'm, I'm excited for the possibility of LaMelo. Uh, he's averaging 44, 39, and 86%. That's with those first five games where he was just putting up absolute bricks. So there is time to turn that around and become an efficient player. Um, I think before the pod, Peter, you brought up that in the fourth quarter, he has the most, was it the, the highest percentage on three-pointers or the most three-pointers? Most, most most makes in the fourth quarter this year. Yeah, I mean, that's a good time to be making those, uh, you know, ends of games and clutch time. So I'm excited to see where the ceiling is, but I just know with LaMelo Ball, the floor can also be pretty low from night to night. You know, Lamelo's an interesting player, right? Because if you watch the Hornets, he the way he carries himself and just the way he moves around the court, he has like that sort of superstar gravity where it does it is very clear that other teams are aware that he is a problem. Um, but there's then again only so much you can do, uh, especially with his like super quick release, especially on fast breaks. He's willing to just sort of plant himself. Uh, you know, at, at like a wing three and just nail it, especially from deep. I I definitely think you're right about him not, maybe like not trusting his teammates because he's shooting the ball a lot. And I know he is the best player and he knows that he's the best player on the Hornets, uh, but it's not turning into wins. So what I see for the Hornets moving forward is that they just need to keep on 
making the right decisions, right? I do think the Mark Williams pick was a good pick. Brandon Miller, um, right? I think we're all we're all on the scoot train, right? Um, but it does seem like he's the better fit. Um, and so they just need to keep not messing up, which is, it's a low bar, right? In Charlotte, considering they were nearly a playoff team for the, uh, during the Miles Bridges era when he, um, when they were in the play-in, they just couldn't get over the hump. So they just need to keep making the right decision. Uh, LaMelo, he was also an all-star last year. So, you know, if, if you want to consider him a star, I think he, he's in that. But yeah, I, there, there is that extra next step. It's weird with the Hornets. It's like you watch them and they are definitely better than a team like the Detroit Pistons, something else we're also talking before the show. But it, there's almost like, you're like, what is missing? Like, like the team looks okay. How are they as dysfunctional as they are? Yeah, honestly, I think it's the the three-point shooting. You know, it's the, the shot selection too. Like even LaMelo, he's taking the same amount of shots per game. But this year, he's averaging eight three-point attempts versus last year, he was averaging close to 11. Um, and, you know, similar efficiencies. Uh, he's been more efficient from three this year, so we'd think more efficient, maybe you should take more shots. The Hornets are second to last in three-point percentage at 33%, but also third to last in three points attempted at 33-point attempts a game. So the combination of the two just means not a lot of points. So even if you're doing a lot of things right on the floor, like defensively and offensively and getting like Mark Williams, he's been super efficient and getting those putbacks and the rebounds and the dunks and everything, you know, it's a numbers game, less threes, less points, harder to win like that. You know, I, I think we did what, what we would naturally do is, you know, we talk about LaMelo, we turn it into what's wrong with the Hornets. Um, Dan, do you have any observations about LaMelo? Yeah, just one thing is that, you know, this is a guy that we've seen throughout middle school, high school, and even when he went overseas, and just the whole ball family. So, you know, even watching him play today, it's still just kind of surreal that, you know, he's made it this far and that, you know, out of the ball brothers, he seems to be doing, you know, he seems to be on the best trajectory. You know, who knows what's going to happen to Lonzo, if he's going to be able to play again or even have a career more, longer, but... That's yeah, just cool to see Lamelo develop into this type of player, and you know he's just maturing his game as the years go by. So I think it's only up from here for him. I agree; it's definitely only up. And what is you know obviously of note with the Hornets is that it's Lamelo, and then there's everyone else. Um, the last guy we're going to talk about, Dan, your second guy here, I think is worth noting because he is making the leap as the number one on a team with with. Uh, or on a team where there's already like a proven all-star. Yeah, it's uh, Scott Barnes, Scotty Barnes. He's yeah, he's taking a leap. He's starting to break out, and he's making this team his. I will say that after last year, I was a little down on him coming into this season, um, because I just didn't have faith that he would be able to step up with you know Fred VanVleet gone. Um, but it's good to see him figure it out. You know, last season he always had these four to five minute stretches where he just looks like he's the best player, you know, on the court, but he would then disappear for long stretches. You know, he, this year he still has those stretches, but he's kind of elevated the rest of his game to the point where, you know, he's still going to be effective and dominant and not disappear. And Scotty did say that last year, um, him, you know, 
not being as effective was partly down to his stamina because Nick Nurse would play him, you know, like 40 minutes a night. And just the way they play defense was these hard closeouts, rotations, switch everything defense. It's, it's probably took a huge toll on his body. And a lot of people forget that, you know, right out of the gates, he was playing 38 plus minutes a night from day one. Um, so, you know, there is some discourse going around that maybe it was Nurse holding him back. Um, I actually tend to think that it's probably Fred that was holding him back. Um, you know, Fred and Siakam were like the one and two, which meant that Scotty would defer in those possessions. They would play like a bunch of needless dribble handoffs for nothing and then go right into an ISO for one of those two options. And then Scotty would end up deferring the ball and just sitting out at the three-point line. Uh, I think Nurse probably had the right idea of forcing Scotty to do a lot early on, guarding star players, handling the ball. And, you know, this year he's taking on a more of a, like a roaming defense um, approach as opposed, as opposed to playing as a point of attack defender. Though Fred's knees were in shambles last year. Gary Trent Jr. is not a good defender, so I think Scotty did have to play a lot of point of attack defending. But, you know, the biggest jump this year is his three-point percentage. He was at 28.1 last year, and this year he's at 39.4, which is insane. This is like, you know, Kawhi levels of improvement. Um, the hitch in his jumper is completely gone, and it just looks completely evolved, which is incredible to say after just one season. Um, he looks quicker and stronger. There was this viral clip going around of him, you know, bullying Giannis down low and just dunking. Um, you know, everyone knew that he was athletic, but it was about being more aggressive and taking the game into his own hands like he is this season. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, his jumper and being a weak side shot blocker, an elite one at that. Those were probably like his biggest things this year that make him stand out. Yeah, the, the defense stands out, especially you, you never know with a player making a jump in offense that Scotty, like clearly that's honestly been the biggest part has been the efficiency and him being just like an actual three-dimensional offensive player that will the defense come and stay with it? And it has so far. Um, uh, what, one thing I do want to like, you, you did mention, Dan, and I want to just talk about it a little more, is that, yeah, Nick Nurse had a weird, like, propensity for running his players in the ground last year. All of his starters, they just, like, absolutely worked. And um, even though the men's per game is pretty similar right now for Scotty, you know, they, they seem a little more, um, I don't know, like a more of a normal team, not just running everyone to the ground the way they did. Yeah, it seems more yeah, I like than he's not, you know exerting himself as much on defense as he was last year go ahead Duncan yeah for sure I, I like the point that you made about like him roaming kind of as that four and getting the like the the roaming blocks and everything like that you know kind of reminds me of, like Jaron Jackson Jr. like maybe that's his ceiling because looking at Jaron Jackson Jr. is like I mean I, I know they're not the same player but his second year stats are very similar in terms of blocks per game three point percentage is almost exactly the same and a similar amount of attempts and everything like that. And a lot of players kind of like that 
are seeming to have a lot of success, like even Victor Wembanyama playing at the four, kind of roaming around. You know, you get some more freedom, and for some players, that just works better than the point of attack or even guarding the the, f- the five. Yeah, that is like the trend with shot blockers lately. It does seem like them playing off of that in, in the paint sort of center, and then being that free safety. You know, that's why the Robert Williams Al Horford lineup was very effective for the Celtics. That's why. Um, you know, Giannis next to Brooke Lopez is very effective. Lopez himself being an elite paint defender, but Giannis being able to roam. Wembon Yama next to Zach Collins. And then it's interesting because I think Scotty Barnes and um, uh, Pascal Siakam are kind of similar in both being that sort of free roaming guy. And that's why it may seem a little redundant that they got Jakob Pertl as being a, in the paint guy, but I think they value that. And then being able to have both Scotty and Pascal being Roman guys. I think they like that just absolute length and versatility. Yeah. I also want to clarify the big difference in playmaking too, of course, with Scotty, like uh, Jaron Jackson is definitely not the same kind of playmaker and or hub that he is. So he, he's got that over him, but you know, I think he can increase some of those blocks. Like who knows, maybe he's a, a sexy depoy candidate in a couple of years. Yeah. Maybe in a couple of years. Yeah. Right now it's true holidays. Uh, it's his award to lose, in my opinion. Not really. I haven't looked at the odds. We're not doing awards. We're not <laughs> doing this, Duncan. Don't bait me into this. <laughs> uh, so we're, we're going to keep it moving. We're going to get to uh, some players we're thankful for. Because uh, in theory, by the time this is out, it'll be one day before Thanksgiving, which means it's time for us to circle back on some players we were thankful for. Some of the players we were thankful for last year, by the way, just thinking about where we were uh, one year ago, uh, we're easy FUD. Uh, she is not as um, good this year for UConn, so not worth really mentioning. Brooke Lopez, who has uh, just been doing his thing, uh, really um, not as good as he was last year, I don't think. And then our third was Al Horford, who once again is is probably worth being thankful for. He's been, you know, the ageless wonder. Um, my, my first player I'm thankful for is one I just mentioned, Drew Holiday. Uh, I'm thankful for him because honestly, like when you have a big trade like that right at the end of the off season, like it was, it, um, it, it's kind of like there's a surreal feeling like, like it takes a little while for that, for that player to sort of integrate and for them in your mind to be a member of the team. And that's how it has been with Drew and the Celtics, but he, he does all the, all, a lot and really in some ways more of the winning plays that Marcus Smart did. And well, he he's, he still does. He's just he's hurt right now. But Drew, he has a great ability to sense when a team needs a bucket and when things are in distress. So he'll just get to the paint, and uh, he's a really good bruiser in the paint. Also makes the winning plays with the steps, steps, uh, steals, and the tips passes. My goodness, uh, I don't know what a stip is. Um, uh, he, he just makes all the winning plays. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. Duncan, go ahead. Yeah, uh, so a couple players I'm thankful for are Ish Smith, Hoop Grids legend. Um, you know, there's a couple other guys there, Lou Williams, Trevor Reza. I don't know why, always work in the Hoop Grids, just plug and play kind of guys. Um, Nas Reed, because he was a haha meme player at the beginning of the year, but he's actually good, um, like really, really good. I'm glad I got him in fantasy. And then Brandon Miller for just not being a bust. Like, bar is low, but I was the head honcho of Scooterville. Um, and I am glad that I was wrong. So thank you, Brandon. Yeah, I'll go ahead next. Um, 
First, I'm going to shout out my my washed guys, my washed crew, Clay Thompson, Stephen Adams, Lonzo Ball, and Ben Simmons. You know, that's the first wave of my guys. You know, a lot of them are hurt, spending this um, you know this holiday season, you know, in their beds, not being able to play basketball. It's you know, it's upsetting from the fan point of view as a fan of the association. That's a, that's a really bad crop of guys. You you should have hopped on the young the young boys with me with the Tyrese's and Cade and you know all the fun guys. Yeah, so yeah, I'll be I'll be rooting for them. You know, and apart from those guys, I'll go with Josh Giddy, you know, a guy that I've been a fan of, but he's not getting the same opportunity this year with Chet healthy. You know, he's a ball he's a guy that needs the ball in his hands to be effective with his passing. So I'm hoping that things can change for him this season. And the other guys are Herb Jones. This is a guy that we raved about, you know, in his first season. Then he got hurt for a bit, but his effort on the defensive end is Really, really refreshing to see. And he's probably the best defender on that team with Zion, you know, taking a more a backseat role this year defensively. And lastly, I'm going to go with Jordan Poole. I do feel for him a bit. He got punched by his own teammate. And, you know, it was in the media. It was made public to everyone. He's just kind of been told to get over it and just move on. But, you know, maybe there is an effect on his current play because of that incident but you know nevertheless you know this is how you command the tank he's the one yeah you know i saw a stat on twitter today saying that uh with out of players who've averaged 15 free throw attempts um per game he has the worst plus minus in nba history at like negative 17 or 15 per game or something like that so i mean of course not totally his fault he's not a number one guy and, and shouldn't be but I mean, he he was integral in that championship run, so he he can be a guy. But Rip, uh, Wizard, Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole is like when you're when you're simulating two K my league, right? And a, a player will just go to a new team because they can offer him a max, and because they have no one else, right? So you'll just be simulating a bunch, and then it'll be Kevin Durant goes to like the Memphis Grizzlies and he averages like 36 a game. And you're just wondering like, how did that all happen? And that's kind of what Jordan Poole is, right? He's just kind of there and he's doing a lot. Um, uh, and he's great for the memes. I think he's single-handedly making the wizards um, somewhat watchable because if it wasn't for him, it would be a guy I'm just going to mention on the way out here. Bilal Koulibaly. Uh, I, I, the way he kind of plays right now is he plays like a young Giannis, like, and by young, I mean like rookie Giannis, who's just kind of out there doing a bunch of stuff. Um, not really being good, not really being bad. He's just sort of experimenting out there. That's what Bilal is. He is, you know, kind of toolsy, kind of lengthy. Can he score? I don't know. Can he be a playmaker? I don't know. Can he defend? Yeah, he can defend. Um, he's just kind of out there playing and he's figuring it out. And it's just hilarious that he's essentially just an NBA player who's, who's trying out how the NBA works for the season. Uh, any, any Bilal Koulibaly fans out there, Dan? Um, yeah, he's, he's been my pickup on my fantasy team. I like what I saw from him. You know, he, he can't, he can hit some threes. He's been hitting them pretty efficiently, but it's obviously not going to maintain, but. You know, a lot of the Wizards beat writers seem to speak highly of him, that the Wizards organization see him as you know, one of, or if not, like the best prospect on that team. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see his progress, you know, in the coming years, because I think he could be a really good player for that team or any team. I'm always pulling for the French guys, so 
you go below. <laughs> well, hey, it's it's been a good year for the Frenchman. You know, Rudy Gobert is back to being a real NBA player, not just a salary or a worst trade ever candidate. Yeah, I mean, if they win the title, do we eat our our words on worst trade ever? Or is it still just a horrible trade? <laughs> uh, no, I, th- I think a, a championship cures all. I mean, that the trade has now looked, uh, I think, better in hindsight. The Anthony Davis to the Lakers, right? Um, they, they won the championship, so that, that cures the trade, essentially. But at first, it looked really bad. But now Lonzo Ball is, you know, forever not an NBA player anymore. Uh, R.I.P. Dan. Uh, Brandon Ingram is just sort of a player in the league. He, he just has sort of plateaued, um, seemingly. And then, I mean, Josh Hart, I mean, he was barely on the Pelicans, almost. And then, you know, some draft picks, I guess. So it's almost like, yeah, if I think if the Timberwolves won a championship, which, by the way, that'd be really cool. Um, that'd just be pretty crazy. Yeah, that'd definitely cure the trade, even though it was a gross overpay. Uh, we're going to move on to our League Pass Game of the Weeks. So we started this last episode. We're just going to look at games for the next seven days that aren't on national TV uh, that maybe should be worth watching. Um, we're not sponsored by League Pass, but League Pass, please sponsor us. Uh, some of the games, we're not going to... I don't need to do the sales pitch because, again, we're not sponsored. Uh, but looking at Wednesday, November 22nd, uh, Sixers, Timberwolves, the Timberwolves that we just mentioned, they're on at 8 p.m., Friday, we're looking at in-season tournament time. There's no games on Thanksgiving, by the way. That's why we skipped it. Friday, Black Friday, we have the Nuggets at the Rockets. A little Jokic Shangun action. Kind of foreshadowed that earlier. 8 p.m. in-season tournament on the line. Saturday, we have Lakers at the Cavs. LeBron returning to Cleveland. I mean, he does it every year, but still cool when it happens. 7.30 p.m. Uh, Sunday, we have... Kevin Durant coming to Madison Square Garden. Always a notable game. 6 p.m. Suns at Knicks. Monday, the 27th, we have the all-no-defense game. Uh, we have Trailblazers at the Pacers at 7 p.m. And then Tuesday, the 28th, we have the Battle of Texas in the in-season tournament as well when we have the Rockets at the Mavericks at 8.30. Honestly, going through all these games, kind of surprising some of these aren't national games considering, like, how big like Kevin Durant in the garden or LeBron returning to Cleveland could be. Any, any thoughts guys? Uh, yeah. You know, national games, there's can only be so many of them, I guess. Um, you know, that is weird, but yeah, like you said, they LeBron back to Cleveland, they do it every year. So maybe they're just like, ah, oh, we did the last year. Let's do something else this year. Yeah. Yeah. There only are so many national games and uh, it's weird for now. It seems like TNT their day is Tuesdays and not Thursdays. Last year it was Tuesdays and Thursdays. Maybe that they pick it up in like after the Christmas sort of period. So I don't know. I, I again I don't work for TNT, so I don't know. <laughs> There's also an honorable mention, maybe a league pass game for tonight is the Pacers Hawks. Um, it has the highest NBA over under since 1995 at 252 and a half points is the line. So that's that you saying the no defense game made me think of that, but that truly might be the no defense game. So I'm going to smash that over because I'm expecting a 150 to 155 kind of kind of victory for the Pacers. Wait, so you're telling me it's the highest over under in history and you're going over since 1995, yeah. 
that, that's doesn't that scream to you under if it's the <laughs> highest ever you are going over but, but you have to you know the, the the way they set the lines is they make the obvious choice and then of course the obvious choice doesn't happen so if i take the under there it's going to be the, one of the highest scoring games since that like oh, double overtime king's clippers game last year but it's not the obvious. The point of the over-under is that it's like even odds over or under. Dan, you're a betting man. Do you have uh, thoughts? Yeah, you got to swim for it. That's the only way to win. <laughs> I guess, you know, what, what's, the, what's the saying we always say? Overs, you know, more points is more fun. So just go on the over. Oh, yeah. That, that's always it for NFL. And then it's like some 7-3, to three, like New England kind of game. But uh, just for a little, little fun trivia... What do you think the odds are for Drew for Defensive Player of the Year? Mm, okay, so... According to DraftKings. Uh, not sponsored. DraftKings, please sponsor us. Um, <laughs> if, look, normally, like, a, a fair favorite would be around plus 400. I have a feeling, because he's a guard, he's a little lower. So I'm going to go plus 800. Dan? I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with... Plus one thousand, plus eighteen hundred. I slapped a dollar on that. Yeah, those are some some good odds to get Drew at. Um, but yeah, it goes Rudy five hundred, AD six fifty, and then Victor at a thousand, Triple J at a thousand, Evan Mobley at a thousand, Bam at a thousand, Brooke Lopez, Giannis at like twelve hundred, sixteen hundred, and then Drew. So Drew is the first guard on the list with uh, Herbert Jones not too far behind. But yeah, Drew, I think that's good value right there. Honestly, I think there's going to be some like anti-guard bias because I think people really, as soon as Marcus Smart won Defensive Player of the Year, everyone's just like pushed back the other way on how he should have won and that it's like a Mickey Mouse Defensive Player of the Year. And now I think everyone's going back towards, you know, the forward or the center. So I I don't love a guard, especially another Celtics guard winning it. I don't think it's going to happen. Now well, that, maybe now that was the narrative that. since it was a Celtics guard that won it. You know, like the same people pushing that narrative are going to be able to do it again. You're no, right. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Hmm. Yeah, I don't love the odds. Uh, anyways, as we wrap up the show, we are going to read last week's, it's been more than one week, but last episode's Q&A and poll. Our last episode was episode 55. We looked at some of the good starts of the season, some of the bad starts of the season, and if they were like above or below our expectations. Our Q&A was, who have you been underwhelmed by to start the season? Uh, Sandy Iyer said, uh, the Memphis Grizzlies, who, of course, she said was the team she was looking forward most to this year. Um, so I agree, Sandy. Definitely underwhelmed by the Grizzlies. Uh, we talked about Desmond Bain, right? If, if he's the guy running the show, it hasn't worked so far. And then from uh, Daniel, you yourself said that you've been underwhelmed by Zion. Oh, what's what's he doing this year? You know, suddenly... You know, you got Victor Wembanyama in the league, and everyone forgets about Zion. And he's just not playing to the same level as he did in the past. And, you know, one of the biggest things that I actually noticed was that he's taking less shots, you know, closer to the rim. So he's settling for these mid-ranges, these hooks. Um, he's just not driving as much. Maybe he's, you know, afraid of, you know, hurting his body more. Or maybe it's a coaching thing. But, yeah, it's... I want to see him be aggressive. Uh, that is incredibly dumb, though, because uh, Zion, what like his whole thing was, he was like ridiculously efficient in the paint because he has you know that ability to make that second jump. His because he's a ridiculous athlete. 
he he shot an absurd percentage in the paint, and that's why he was such like a an effective high volume scorer. So the coaches down there, uh, who is it? Still Willie Green is that the head coach of the Pelicans? Yeah, he needs to he needs to fix that. I'm not a fan of of that. Uh, anyways, our poll was right now. Who would you pick to start a franchise with? So let's say you know the whole NBA had a whole redraft of the, of the whole league, and you had the number one pick. Who would essentially? That's what we're asking. Uh, I put seven options that I thought would be like the most, probably like the seven best options. Maybe I put Victor Wembanyama. That that's more of a you know for the for the fun of it, I guess. I don't know if he would actually be your pick. Uh, Victor Wembanyama, Luka Doncic, Jason Tatum, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Shea Gilchrist Alexander, Nikola Jokic, and Anthony Edwards. Well, uh, it was a three-way tie between Luka Doncic, Shea Gilchrist Alexander, and Nikola Jokic. Uh, any thoughts on on that tie? We got to reveal the picks. I, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if I actually participated in this poll, so maybe I can tie break. No, but I think I, I would I would go maybe Luka Doncic just because if you're you're choosing one person that you can just slap anybody around to make better, um, then again the same argument can be made for Jokic. But that, that, that's a good one. So I I did pick Luka in this because I I think I went with the like he's that one man offense that he can guarantee your team 40 wins a year, pretty much just by being him, regardless of how good the teammates are around. And he's younger than Jokic, which uh, again, if I'm starting a franchise, I guess would be a factor. Uh, Dan, did, did you vote for Shea in this? As I I'm did vote guess for Shea. You know, Why? I admit that I participated in this poll a little later, but you know, he's, he's on that trajectory right now. And Gotta hop on the bandwagon before it gets even bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, it's already at a big size, but I'm a believer. You know, one thing I saw, I, I think it was a tweet. It was saying that some of the best players in the NBA play like a YMCA brand of old man basketball. So like Shea with his like herky jerky sort of stuff, Tyrese, uh, Jokic. Um, I wonder why that is. I wonder if it's just like the league is so good, you almost like it's not. Like there's no room to be flashy anymore. There's no room to to try to make a statement that if you're trying to win, which all these guys are, you just have to find a way to win. And maybe it's just like not sexy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I mean I see that. You know, it's the winning plays now. I mean, I think Jokic kind of started that a bit where he's not the sexiest player. Although his passing is great, but like scoring wise, you know, he's content just kind of with the good lays being in the right place at the right time. And you know, gotten two MVPs and a, and a ring, so it's pretty. Many people are emulating that a bit more. And besides, the sexiest player in the league was hit by a car. So uh, Kelly Oubre Jr. He's in the hospital, allegedly um, hit by a car. Turns out he might not have been hit by a car because a security camera on where he said he was showed no evidence. <laughs> they were like, they showed the entire night of the corner he said he was on, and there was nobody hit by a car. So either maybe he doesn't know Philly very well, and it was a different corner, but I mean, it's been a little bit of radio silence on that end so allegedly hit by a car apparently he's been shooting around in practice like he's he's ready to go in a couple weeks oh so he went to the paul pierce camp of got stabbed at a nightclub and then came back like a week later huh we'll never know 
I mean, I guess we could know, but we probably won't know. You're right. Okay. Uh, wow. Very interesting way to end the episode. Uh, any any words on the way out, guys? Happy holidays. Yeah, this is you know our, our start to the holiday season. I'm sure we'll have some holiday theme segments and, and episodes coming up soon. Um, so without any uh, further ado, that's all we've got. Everyone have a good, happy Thanksgiving. Or if you don't celebrate Thanksgiving, have, have a good week, I guess. You know, stay inside, stay warm. Uh, and we'll see you all next time.